0: I'd like you to Turn to be in God's Word this afternoon to 1 Peter chapter 2. This afternoon we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 32, which speaks of good works on the necessity of performing good works, recognizing the fact that they flow forth from a heart that's been freed through the liberation in Jesus Christ. We're first going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There ends a reading from 1 Peter. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 5. i reading at verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit... have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I'd like you to turn with me to Lord's Day 32. Lord's Day 32, so you can see that this is starting this third part of the Catechism, our thankfulness. Lord's Day 32 and then the introduction to the law. Does not make any sense if you don't know the second part of the catechism, which deals with our deliverance and salvation by grace alone in Jesus Christ. So then this is our our response, our gratitude, our thankfulness. There's two questions and answers we'll consider this afternoon. Question 86 asks Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, that he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. Question 87 Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. There ends our reading of our catechism, and God bless that to us. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Might sound like an interesting question to ask someone. How can you taste that the Lord is good? Well, this is the language of our scripture reading from 1 Peter 2, verse 3. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, what that means then is that you are a new person. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are given a new name, Christian. You are given a new identity. You are given a new goal in life, a new future in the Savior. You're given the Holy Spirit, and you are being renewed. Your life, which by nature would be a wandering in the darkness, now is light-inspired, and God-focused. In our scripture reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, we have one of these life verses, in verses 9 and then also in verse 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This language is rooted in the Old Testament of God calling Israel to be His people. They were small. They were insignificant. They were not overly obedient, to be sure. But what they lack in themselves, God makes up by His power, by His might. When God brought them up out of Egypt... Boys and girls, you know where they went first. They went and saw another deliverance, not just from Egypt. Now they come to the Red Sea. God delivers them through the sea, and then they come to the great Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God gives His holy law. With His very finger, He writes the moral law on tablets of stone. And He gives it to them through Moses. He gives it to them because they were His people. He identified Himself with them. In Jesus Christ, God has done this for us. We're given a new heart. His law is written now on the tablets of our hearts. We're new creations. And so our catechism here in Lord's Day 32 gives us the reason to do good works. And I preached on this Lord's Day last week or two weeks ago. The last time I preached on it, I gave the five reasons the catechism gives to do good works. This afternoon, I'm going to do a little bit of a different approach. don't normally do this in a catechism sermon. But I'm going to give seven reasons, or seven things, seven meanings of what it looks like to not produce good works. The call is to live righteously before God as His children, His chosen people. What does it mean if you do not do good works? Well, it's going to mean seven things. First, it's going to mean that you haven't believed. To fail to produce fruits of gratitude is a sign that you're not actually a believer. You might profess Christian things. You might go through the Christian rites. You might attend worship. But without good works, it is a lie. Your life is a lie. The language used in our catechism, it's even asked in the question, is that then you have not been delivered from your misery by grace alone, through Christ alone. You've not been redeemed by His blood. That means you still belong to Satan and sin. You have not been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without Christ's blood, death still is the great enemy. Death still has the great power to sting. James 2, verse 17 says, So also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What good is a dead faith? What good is a dead faith? It's a lie. It's no faith at all. That's not the faith Jesus Christ speaks of. That's not the call of the gospel. That's not the identity of believers founded in the blood of the Savior. Listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 18, he says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. To Use the language of 86, question 86, you're then still in your misery. You're still in your sin. You need to a- answer the question, are you born again? Or to use the, fo- the flow of the catechism, you need to go back to Lord's Day 23, And ask the question, question answer 60, how are you right before God? And if the answer is not only by true faith in Jesus Christ, forget this sermon. Forget the third part of the catechism. You need to to deal with that reality as you stand before Almighty God. How are you right before God? And it's not simply a confession from the lips. It's a humbling of the heart before God Almighty. Not because of my deserving but holy by God's grace. The second thing it means to not produce good works is that you've not been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the great comforter, the great one promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was preparing to depart in John 14 and John 16, remember the disciples were sad. He had predicted a number of times that he was going to leave them, and they were sad. And the comfort he gave them was that I will send another comforter, literally a comfort of the same nature, of the same kind, the Holy Spirit. And because of that, they will never be alone. Jesus would never ever leave them or forsake them. But our catechism says that those redeemed by Christ's blood are being renewed by the Holy Spirit. So what that means is that if you fail to do good works you are then testifying to the fact that the Spirit is not working. That is, you recognize that, if you confess Christ without faith that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's a, you're lying about the work of the Spirit in your life. There's a serious weightiness to this. So why is it so important that the Spirit works in us? Because this is how we understand. This is how we know. We prayed before the Scripture reading that we might be illuminated. That our eyes might be open. That our ears might hear. The Holy Spirit is the one who pricks the conscience when we do wrong. It's the Holy Spirit who turns us back to the Lord. You might hear in the preaching or you might hear from a From somebody who loves you, this isn't right, or you're in sin. Repentance is what is necessary. Repentance is a turning. But who's doing this? Well, we must, we have a responsibility in it, but the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. He's active. It's the Holy Spirit who intercedes in our hearts and gives us access to God's throne room. For those or for the one who doesn't care about their lifestyle, and thinks, I don't have to do good works. I'm saved by grace. That person's in grave danger. The person who thinks that way loves their sin, and they want God to love their sin. It's a very important concept, I think, in 2023. They love their sin, and they want God to also love their sin. Think about the whole Christian gay or gay Christian movement. Here's the argument. God loves me, I am gay, and therefore God must love the gay me. Well, God might love somebody who's struggling with same-sex attraction, to be sure. But he certainly hates the sin that's being given into. A push against the word of God is a grieving of the Holy Spirit. The world accepts worldliness. Never let the church accept worldliness. It's wrong. Those who are redeemed by the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. He is, after all, the one who works renewal into His image, a true believer in the process of growing more and more Christ-like. So you've not been given the Spirit. Third, You're not thankful to God for His benefits. The glorious mercy of God is free, it is unmerited. Sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Therefore, to not produce good works is a robbing of God for the gratitude we we need to give, for the benefits we received. You're ungrateful. We've all seen the, the spoiled kid who thinks they're entitled to everything. I think about a, like the 90s movie, Richie Rich. Kids give it everything. He's just so entitled. He expects it. And when you see a, a, a child receive something and they're ungrateful for it, it's so extremely off-putting, isn't it? Parents teach their children manners, simple manners of please and thank you. When a child is young and they're, they're learning and somebody gives them something, The parent looks at the child and says, what do you say? And the implied answer is, thank you. Of course, thank you. Now imagine if a child receives a gift, opens it up, and says, well, it's about time. Or, why, why not something better? Last birthday was better than this birthday. Or, why isn't this bigger? What would you think about that? Of course. Spoiled little brat. Take the present away. Bring it back to the store, you get nothing. Right? That's the initial response. We're not talking about a birthday present here. Some sports equipment you get for Christmas or something like that. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about Jesus Christ accomplishing everything for our salvation before God. It is a gift freely given. How should you respond? Could be better. Christian life could be a lot easier. Why not that, God? Why sickness? Why? No, of course not. That's not how the believe. That's not the one... That's not the response of the one who realizes how much has been forgiven. And yet one, instead of a heart of gratitude... Complains, mumbles, maybe even rejects the blessings of God as saying to God. Think of all the mercies received from the Lord. Think of all the blessings. If we just stopped this worship service, and you each took out a a notepad and a pen, and we spent the next hour just writing down personally in your life the blessings of God given to you, which are not deserved. We'd fill that hour. The longer and deeper you think about it, the more manifold the blessings of God become before our eyes. And then at the end of it, you might as well just sing, Praise God, from all blessings flow. What other response would you have? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. If you can do that, then it means you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you will be thankful. Fourth, if we fail to do good, good works, God receives no praise from us. God has created us to be worshipers. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to, to care for the garden as His image bears, they, by their very nature and in fellowship with God, worshiped Him. They praised Him. Their hearts and affections were were focused on the Lord. There was a beautiful relationship in this garden. Man was the friend of God in mutual love, but sin ruined that. The praise that Adam and Eve had given to God and had been made to give to God was traded for a trembling Adam and Eve who were hiding from God because of their shame. Their punishment came and they were banished from the garden. But not before God gave them a promise. God's grace always shines in the midst of judgment. God provided another way for them to have fellowship with him. God first showed this by killing an animal, providing them skins, clothing. Don't read too quickly over that. Think about never having seen the shedding of blood ever in your life. And God sheds the blood of an animal so that your blood would not be shed. They are ashamed because of their sin. That's what sin does. And God covers their shame. But the way to cover the shame was through a substitute. An animal had to die in order for their sin to be covered. Thereby teaching them a very, very important principle, which we understand a substitutionary atonement. That's what God gave them. That's what God gave them. God provided this other way. God was pointing them ahead to Jesus Christ. Yet, there's a way that once again, even though they they did what God told them not to do, there's another way that they could be restored. There's another way that they could once again be worshipers of the true and living God. They were forgiven much, and they certainly realized that. David understood this as well. What does he ask? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? When King David fell into temptation and sin, he was eventually forgiven of that sin after he repented. And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote some of the the most gut-wrenching, beautiful psalms to the Lord. Psalms like Psalm 51. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression has been forgiven. whose sin is wholly covered before the sight of heaven. Dead men do not praise God, and those who live by the works of the flesh are not spiritually alive. Answer 87 says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fifth, to fail to produce fruits of gratitude, you will have no assurance of God's mercy. There are many who live today and think that Things are okay between them and God. It's okay, the relationship's fine. Ask your neighbor how God views them. Hmm. Better than that guy, or not that bad, or the country singer Randy Travis sang, "The road to hell is paved with good intentions." The road to hell is paved with good intentions. The fact is is that the unbelieving neighbor does not want to hear the truth about how God views their unbelief, their rejection, and to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Say, sorry, Sundays are for sports. Sundays are for not going to do it. It costs too much, too great of a sacrifice to become a Christian. You see, those not trusting in Christ... Those not seeking the love of God and neighbor should not have any assurance that they are right with God. There can be no peace with God. Pastors and elders have heard many times from their sheep that speak about the freeing reality of repentance and forgiveness. The person under church discipline who's hardened in their sin and then God, by His grace, softens their hearts and they see their sin. And in tears they confess this before the Lord and they make reconciliation with the one that they've sinned against. They realize it. They get it. They're freed. Repentance is freeing. The experience is universal. There's no peace without forgiveness. There's no assurance without the fruits of our lives. Our catechism says, further, that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. I've always been thankful that that's not the first reason to do good works, that our fruits will assure us of our faith. Christ is the ultimate assurance of faith. But these testify to the fact, as Jesus said, a good tree will bear good fruit. We may be assured of our faith by its fruits. Like when we were speaking with a seminary professor one time on the question of comfort in preaching, the minister ought to comfort the congregation. And this professor said, maybe once in a while a preacher needs to strip away false comfort for the people that are sitting on their hands in the Christian life. Maybe they ought not to be comforted. Maybe they ought not to feel comfortable sitting in church week after week, hiding behind somebody and saying, he's talking about that guy. Talk about that woman, not me. You see, we, we can live a particular way. We can do the right things. Check off the list. You can't fool God. In your heart of hearts, we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. This is the prayer of church discipline. It's the prayer of the wayward son or daughter. It's the call to your friend or to your brother or sister, whoever it might be. You need to turn. You need to turn from your sin, dear brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Because when you're in sin, there is no peace. There's no peace in that. Know that. That's an important truth to know if you're, especially an elder in the church, you're dealing with somebody who's struggling in their sin, they'll explain to you why their sin is okay or how they justify it in their mind, but they're not at peace because true peace only comes with repentance. And without repentance, there's not true peace. They might say it is. It's not. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit's work. And sin grieves the Spirit. That's why it must be dealt with so quickly. Galatians 5, verse 16, we read, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then after that come the works of the flesh, and then the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you even have it written on the wall of your home. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Beautiful verse. Beautiful verse. I've never been to anybody's home, and I've seen the works of the flesh written. And thus, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and probably rightly so. But those two things are connected. We're talking about black and white, light and dark, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have part of the Spirit. The Spirit sometimes, sometimes not Spirit. Sometimes you're fleshly. Sometimes you're spiritual. You're either indwelt by the Holy Spirit or you are not. And if you are not, you need to humble yourself before God and say, God, give me your Holy Spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Work in my heart. You will walk by the Spirit. Idle hands of the devil's workshop. This is why... Parents want their teenage sons to do something constructive or productive with their hands. Otherwise, they end up doing unconstructive things. But so, too, in the Christian life. So, too, in pursuing righteousness and fellowship with God. You give no occasion to the devil. The one who walks in sin ought not to have any assurance of faith. That faith, or that assurance, that gift is given to the repentant. Sixth, if you don't do good works, you don't love your neighbor. Did you know that your life has an impact on your neighbor? This can be true both positively and this can be true negatively. If we live an ungodly life and produce no redeeming works of gratitude, what ought our neighbors to conclude about Christianity? It's a sham. It's a sham. They see you go to church twice every week. That must be because that's where you see your family. Or you get business connections there. Or you have this, or you have that benefit. You're understood in society to be a family person, or something like that. Your neighbor sees that. It's a sham. Loving a neighbor involves doing good works to them. Imagine sharing the gospel with your neighbor. On the next day, you... Look out the door, you see his garage is open, but he's not out there. You go over there, and you you steal his bike out of his garage. You take it and you put it in your garage. What do you think your neighbor will do about that? What do you think that would do to your witness? Well, it ruins it, obviously. Obviously. Whether it's being worldly, being hypocritical, speaking with profanity. You tell a coarse joke. That's one of the quickest ways to ruin your witness or a racial joke, or something like that. Witness is gone. Show contempt. These are all ways to turn your neighbor away from you. Though it might be a bit of a cliche statement to say, you might be the only Bible your neighbor ever reads. What are they reading? You might think, well, why does it matter? God saves or he doesn't. God works faith or he doesn't. I'm not responsible for the salvation of my neighbor, am I? It is true that God works salvation. Praise God for that. But, if that's your attitude, you have to answer some very, very tough questions from the Scriptures. Why does Jesus then call believers salt and light in Matthew 5? Why would it matter if you let your light shine or if you hide it under a bushel, hide it under a basket, Why would that even matter? Why does Jesus even speak about these things? The reason why, brothers and sisters, is because your life is a living testimony. You are a trophy of God's grace. You are a very picture of an undeserving sinner saved by grace. If you believe. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And even your sin Your continued sin, which your neighbor sees, is also a testimony of the Spirit's work in you. Because when you sin, you apologize for that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have talked about neighbor Joe behind his back. He's not here. I shouldn't have said that in the presence of my other neighbors. Even that is a sign of the Spirit working in you. Your life is a living testimony. To so live then is those who are freed. Freed from the bondage and shackles of sin and let your neighbor see that. Your witness will not be perfect. Your neighbor is not saved by your witness. He's saved by Jesus Christ. Galatians 5 verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Seventh, not producing works of gratitude or thanksgiving, shows that we are unrepentant and will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a question answer 87 says. There's a whole list of people there at answer 87 who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And like our scripture reading from Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, these are those who are unrepentant in it. If you commit one of these sins... uh, If you steal something, robbers will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have stolen something, you do not have to fear for your salvation if you've repented before the Lord. These are those who are in their sin, living impenitently without confessing their sin to the Lord. The problem is is that with sin, and we've all experienced this, I trust, is that once, once you cross that line in sin, it's easier the next time and easier the next time and then eventually you don't even think about it, right? You just become desensitized to those types of decisions and that, that type of life. And the, the danger we face is that this all begins in the heart. We could think of a Lord's Day like Lord, Lord, Lord's Day 32 and, and think, well, if we just follow that which is commanded If we just externally mold to this image, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. I say these things and I do these things. Then God will be happy with me. We'll be right before God. But it doesn't work like that. Because it all comes down to the heart before Jesus. The law matters. Right? I mean, you have people that justify all kinds of sinful things in worship services. Yeah, but, my, but it's from my heart, so I can sing Arminian songs, or I can do this or do that, but it's from my heart. Well, your heart is deceitful, so stop listening to your heart in that way. Listen to the Word of God. But when it comes to faith, a heart softened by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must begin here. Not here. We know right and wrong. It doesn't begin here. It begins in the heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's what David prays. Not, Lord, shape my actions to fit this picture of what it looks like to be a good Christian or something like that. It's in your heart. Why, brother and sister, do you do what you do? What's in your heart? Let us turn from sin, and let us confess it to the Lord. Embrace Jesus Christ as the Redeemer, believing that He has done all that is needed for our forgiveness. We've received His mercy. When you do this, you're granted eternal life. Then the point of your life, your existence, is not the indulgence of the pleasures of the flesh, but the goal of your life, the purpose of your existence in this universe is that you might live the entirety of your life to bring glory to God alone. You are redeemed by the blood of the Savior. You at one point were not a people, but now you are a people. You at one point had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the picture of going from death to life. The next Lord's Day we will deal with this, this process of sanctification and growing in grace you are redeemed. So be encouraged, congregation, but also be inspired by the word of God. That according to Psalm 119, your law is my chief delight. May God write that upon our hearts and then go forward and love God and neighbor. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Amen.